Infidelity is the breaking of a promise to remain faithful to a romantic partner, whether that promise was part of a marriage, an agreement between lovers, or an unspoken assumption. As unthinkable as the notion of breaking such promises may be at the time they are made, infidelity is common, and when it happens, it raises the following questions. Should you stay? Can trust be rebuilt? Or is there no choice but to pack up and move on? Most people are aware of the cost of cheating in a relationship, particularly in a marriage. Betrayal can lead to divorce and parental disruption, and infidelity is a predictor of depression, anxiety, and domestic violence. Yet, many stray anyway, prompting the question, why? In surveys of people who have been unfaithful, they cite falling out of love, seeking variety, and feeling neglected were the top reasons for being unfaithful. Even though men have always been more likely than women to cheat, 10 to 15% of women cheat on their husbands. When Joe Foley married Kathleen Zimmerman, they, like most newlyweds, never thought that infidelity or murder would ever enter their lives. But on a summer night, midweek, in July of 1998, it did. 36-year-old Joe Foley was found shot in bed. With very little clues, the case went unsolved for 15 months, until a certain article of clothing defeated the killer's efforts to get away with murder. You're listening to Departed in Pennsylvania, Backward Shorts, the case of Joseph Foley. The borough of Fountain Hill is a quaint suburb of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, the population of just under 5,000. It was once a tiny village, home to the Lenape Indians. The name Fountain Hill came from Tinsley Jeter, who purchased the Fountain Blue Estate in 1866. The French word, Fontaine, is fountain in English, and the Fountain Blue Mansion occupied a beautiful portion on the slope of the Lehigh Hill, where there were springs of water flowing from the hill. Over the years, Fountain Hill has maintained its small-time feel, 
where the quality of life of its residents flows from their dedication to church, education, and family life. The people of Fountain Hill love their little community and take pride in proclaiming its motto, It's a thrill to live on the hill. 1308 Moravia Street was a 2,041-square-foot single-family home located at the top of Fountain Hill. Sitting high on a corner lot, the Moravia Street home was purchased for $85,000 in June of 1984 by Joe and Kathleen Foley. Joe Foley, sometimes called Joey for short, enjoyed taking care of others. His large stature earned him the nickname Gentle Ben, and he prided himself as being able to take care of his life problems on his own. Joe's father, also named Joe, lost his father at the age of seven, and he grew up in an orphanage outside of Philadelphia. As an adult, Joe's father made up for the lack of family by having nine children with Joe's mother. Joe Sr. instilled the importance of family with all the children. Joe Sr. affectionately called the younger Joe his right-hand man because of his son's dependability. In 1989, Joe met Kathleen Zimmerman when she moved to Bethlehem from Oregsburg, Pennsylvania to take a job as a psychiatric aide at Allentown State Hospital. At the time, both Joe and Kathleen were there for each other, Kathleen providing Joe with companionship and Joe providing Kathleen with stability, companionship, and guidance, almost acting as a father figure to Kathleen. Coming from a family where roots run deep and heritage is honored, Joe wanted to propose to Kathleen on St. Patrick's Day. To help facilitate this, Joe asked his cousin to order an emerald and diamond engagement ring with a matching band from Ireland. With Joe, the valuable life lesson that his father taught him stuck, and Joe Sr. was thrilled when he and Kathleen married. Soon, they would try to have children of their own, but after years of trying, their efforts were fruitful. Still, longing to become parents and having an abundance of love to give, Kathleen and Joe became foster parents, but they became too attached to the children in their care, and it was extremely painful to return the children to their birth parents. Still wanting to help children any way he could, Joe and his mother founded the Lehigh Valley chapter of Project Children, an organization that brought over dozens of children from war-torn Northern Ireland to the United States annually. Joe worked with the local chapter and made it his mission to raise money to bring more children to the United States for vacation. Joe even planned to create a trust to help local children's causes. Charity was something that was always close to Joe's heart. He thought nothing of giving up a night out to assemble a toy for a child to open on Christmas morning. The patients he cared for at Allentown State Hospital had the privilege of Joe taking them fishing on the weekends. A fan of the coin-operated claw games, Joe would play those games until he won something and gave it away. These were just a few of the countless ways Joe gave back to people. 
July 30th, 1998. It was a hot, humid Thursday evening. Joe and Kathleen started off their night with going to the Grover Cleveland Democratic Club in Bethlehem. After having dinner, drinks, and socializing with friends, Joe and Kathleen arrived at their Fountain Hill home by 8 p.m. They went inside, checked the mail and messages on the answering machine. Then Joe went upstairs to turn on the air conditioner in the primary bedroom. Downstairs, Kathleen made Joe a chicken sandwich, and afterwards, the two headed upstairs where the couple had sex, talked for a while, then went to bed. Due to Joe's loud snoring, Joe slept in the couple's primary bedroom, while Kathleen slept in the adjoining bedroom. The next morning, Kathleen awoke and showered, dressed, and tried to wake Joe up. After a few unsuccessful attempts of not being able to wake him up, Kathleen called 911. Kathleen said to the dispatcher, I need some help. My husband won't move. He's laying in bed on his stomach. I went to wake him up for work, and he's not moving. The dispatcher had asked if Joe was breathing, and Kathleen replied that she didn't think so. While on the phone with 911, Kathleen told the dispatcher that she noticed that the front door was open. After she hung up with the 911 operator, she then went downstairs to wait for police. At 5.54 a.m., Bethlehem police officer Edward Buckman was the first to respond to the Moravia Street home, and it was there that Kathleen was outside and waiting on the porch. She stated to him that Joe was up on the bed, and she told the officer she lifted part of the comforter, saw Joe's discolored skin, and didn't know what was wrong with him, so she called 911. Officer Buckman then went upstairs to the primary bedroom while Kathleen waited downstairs. As he walked into the room, the officer noticed that a body was covered with a white comforter and a maroon pillow. He then lifted the bedding and saw Joe, wearing only a pair of gym shorts, lying face down on another pillow with blood coming from his right ear and a puddle of blood on the pillow. As Officer Buckman lifted the comforter even further, he saw more wounds on Joe's body, then replaced the bedding where he found it. All in all, Joe had been shot four times. Shortly after, more police arrived. They looked around the bedroom and noticed an empty money clip on the floor beside the bed. They also found a locked box in a nightstand that was covered in dust. It looked like it had been moved, although there were no fingerprints. It was then that Kathleen came upstairs and asked Officer Buckman what was wrong. Answering her, he said, Not sure. He then asked her if there were any firearms in the house. She replied, No. Why do you ask? When asked if Joe had a gun, Kathleen said Joe used to have a gun. 
a 9mm pistol and had gotten rid of it back in 1993 when they moved into the house. When initially questioned by police, Kathleen said she hadn't heard any gunshots or unusual noises during the night and told detectives that a robber must have followed them home from the Grover Cleveland Club, where they were there the night before. She stated Joe had been flashing around a money clip containing $1,800. Afterwards, they came home around 8.30 from the club, had dinner, and went to bed. She added that around midnight, she went to the other bedroom to go to sleep because of Joe's loud snoring. The next morning, when she went to wake Joe, he was dead. She said she never heard any gunshots because the air conditioner was running. Looking at Joe's body, police knew that Joe suffered numerous gunshot wounds, and Kathleen's hands were tested for gunpowder residue, which came up negative. As they looked around, Police noticed that the home was particularly dusty and hoped there might be some fingerprints found which might be used to identify Joe's killer. But police had very little to go on. No weapon, no witnesses, and very few clues. Detectives knew that they had a very difficult case on their hands. Merritt's side is the killing of one own's husband, It can refer to the act itself or the person who carries it out. It can also be used in the context of the killing of one's own boyfriend. Typically, when a spouse is murdered, police often look to the other spouse as a suspect. In over 75% of murders, the victim knows the killer. And in that group, nearly 30% are family members. Family dynamics are powerful, and usually intense love, resentment, and jealousy results in deadly violence. With Joe Foley's case, investigators naturally started with Kathleen, and with that, the following day, July 31, 1998, Kathleen voluntarily came down to the Bethlehem Police Department and gave the taped statement to a state police investigator. In her statement to police, Kathleen told them she and Joe had visited the Grover Cleveland Club on the evening of July 30th, 1998, and Joe had been flashing around a money clip containing $1,800. The large amount of money was being kept to replace the wedding rings that Kathleen had lost. They arrived home at 8 p.m., checked the mail and messages on the answering machine. Then, Joe went upstairs to turn on the air conditioning in the primary bedroom. Downstairs, Kathleen made Joe a chicken sandwich, and afterwards, the two headed upstairs where the couple had sex, talked for a while, then went to bed. Due to Joe's loud snoring, she said Joe slept in the couple's primary bedroom while Kathleen slept in the adjoining bedroom. The next morning, Kathleen awoke, showered, dressed, 
and try to wake Joe up for work. And after a few unsuccessful attempts of not being able to wake him up, she called 911. She also added that she poked Joe, who was covered with a comforter, and called his name. She said he didn't respond, so she moved the comforter and noticed that his skin was discolored. It was then she called 911 and couldn't wake her husband. At some point during her phone call to 911, she noticed the front door was ajar. When a Fountain Hill police officer arrived, Kathleen told him that Joe was upstairs and she couldn't wake him. She continued to say that when an ambulance arrived, that no one was letting her into the bedroom. She told the officer she then learned from the EMT attending Joe that he was dead. Even with Kathleen's statement, there were very little clues for investigators to go on. So they began to look at Joe's life. Was there anything in Joe's life that could have contributed to his murder? Police started with Joe's union ties. There had been a strike with the Pennsylvania State Employees Union, and Joe took on the dangerous task of repossessing the cars of the striking members. Because of this, Joe was viewed as a tyrant because of what he was doing. But after some investigation and interviewing, police did not find anyone who could have been involved in Joe's murder. Joe had also been involved in Project Children, the organization that brought over children from Ireland to the United States for summer vacations. People thought possibly he had ties to the IRA and it even took investigators to Northern Ireland, but they found no link. Soon afterwards, police began to interview Joe's family, friends, co-workers, or anyone that could help them solve the murder of what appeared to be a well-liked man. Joe's family, understandably, was devastated. There were no clues, nor leads, in Joe's death. With very little to go on and determined to find Joe's killer, his family hit the ground running by handing out flyers asking anyone with information about Joe's murder to contact police. There was even a reward, $1,000 to the first person who provided information that would lead to the conviction of the person who murdered Joe. The flyers were handed out to the neighborhood convenience stores, gas stations, all along Fountain Hill, Allentown, and even in Kathleen's hometown of Oregsburg, which is about 45 miles west of the Foley home. Looking for more answers, investigators interviewed Joe's family. They told police at first, Joe and Kathleen's marriage appeared solid. Married in 1989, both Joe and Kathleen were said to be loving towards each other for part of their relationship. The couple was putting on an addition to their home and were planning for the future. Kathleen herself described Joe as the love of her life, even having sex with him the night before the murder. But Joe's sister Joan noticed kinks in the once smooth relationship. 
1991, Joe had been keeping a strict eye on Kathleen's spending and social habits after she ran up the couple's charges with cash withdrawals to finance a cocaine habit. Because of this, Kathleen was forced to deposit her paycheck in a joint account, then write a check to Joe for 90% of the amount. In December 1997, the Christmas prior to Joe's murder, it should have been a happy time. Joe was planning to attend the annual gathering of his close friends from high school. This would have been the 15th year that Joe and his friends would meet. But that year, Joe never showed up and concerned friends called him. The happy Joe they knew was in a solemn mood, but they attributed it to the recent passing of Joe's mom. But his sister Joan was worried as well and phoned him. Joe admitted he and Kathleen had an argument about secrets Kathleen had kept from him. The following day, Christmas Day, Joe was to accompany Kathleen to Orgsburg, PA to visit her family, but chose to stay behind because Joe didn't want to pretend everything was okay. So that year, his last Christmas, he spent it alone. But later on, when Joe's family had asked Kathleen about their argument, Kathleen denied that Joe spent Christmas alone and said they made up, even taking a snowmobiling trip in February and stating they had a great time. And then, Kathleen's co-workers at Allentown State Hospital added to Joan's story, but a bit different and a bit more shocking. Kathleen was in love with another man besides Joe. His name? George Fleming, a housekeeper at Allentown State Hospital where both Joe and Kathleen worked. Co-workers told investigators that Kathleen was having an affair with George and basically flaunted the relationship, saying she wanted nothing to do with Joe. Kathleen told co-workers that she and George had sex at her house while Joe was in Ireland, at George's house when his wife was away, and at the state hospital while they were working. Kathleen also had a part-time job at JCPenney, and one of her co-workers at JCPenney told investigators that George would visit Kathleen while she was working and she often would shower George with gifts such as jewelry, clothing, as well as large amounts of money. At Allentown State Hospital, where both Kathleen and Joe worked, many of the employees saw Kathleen and George kissing and hugging and that it was public knowledge to everyone they worked with. Kathleen was often heard saying she was head over heels in love with George, and she never loved Joe the way she loved George. According to Kathleen, Joe was becoming more controlling and distrustful of her, calling her marriage with Joe unbearable. Kathleen complained to other people about her relationship with Joe and how different George and Joe were. She said she could be herself with George. When her co-worker suggested marital counseling, she said Joe would never agree to that 
and Joe would hurt George if he ever found out about the affair. And according to her co-workers, she was planning to leave Joe, and that two weeks before his death, she'd been apartment hunting. Even a former patient at the hospital told investigators that he heard Kathleen talk about having a gun in the house about a month before the shooting. He said he also heard her say that she and Joe were sleeping in separate rooms. And even though Joe had no solid proof that Kathleen and George were seeing each other, it didn't stop Joe from confronting George at work and told him to stay away from Kathleen. Around the same time, a family friend confronted Kathleen about the rumor, which Kathleen denied. When investigators dug a bit deeper, they discovered that while Joe was in Ireland in May of 1998, Kathleen cashed in over $1,000 in saving bonds. And not only did she give her lover George Fleming $1,000 for a down payment on a car, she also co-signed for the loan. Immediately, investigators focused their attention on the love triangle. And could there be a possibility that George might have had something to do with Joe's murder? Surely, it's not uncommon for the lover of a married spouse to be involved in such a crime. So having George Fleming as a suspect was not viewed as being unusual. When investigators finally got around to interviewing George Fleming, initially, George wasn't forthright about his relationship with Kathleen and everything that he did that night of Joe's murder. George told police he only had a casual relationship with Kathleen, but later, he admitted it was far more. He said they had sex wherever it was convenient, including at the state hospital. He went on to say he was in the Foley home when Joe wasn't around and did not know who killed Joe. As far as his alibi, the night of Joe's murder... George was working a second job at a beverage company and punched out at 9.02 p.m. He went to the Allentown home of another married woman with whom he was having an affair with and spent time with her at a park. Afterwards, he went home and he and his wife went to a pizza shop. They stopped somewhere to buy marijuana, went home, and stayed there. Two of Joe's friends told investigators that on the night of Joe's murder, they phoned Joe around 10 p.m. Kathleen had answered and told them Joe was asleep and too drunk to take their calls. But when police reviewed the toxicology report, it showed that Joe would not have been drunk at the time the friends tried to phone him. Police questioned witnesses at the Grover Cleveland Club who saw Joe the night of July 30th, 1998. They said they watched him pay for drinks, and they said he didn't have a money clip, and he didn't flash any substantial cash. And what about any physical evidence found at the crime scene? As mentioned before, Kathleen's hands were tested at the scene for gunpowder residue which came up negative. But investigators attributed the lack of gunpowder residue on Kathleen's hands 
due to the fact that she took a shower after the murder. However, Kathleen's nightgown was tested for gunpowder residue, and it was determined that it was found on her nightgown as well as the bedding. And as far as the firearm that was used to kill Joe, on the day that Joe's body was found, police discovered a cabinet in the primary bedroom that held a metal lockbox. This particular cabinet had been dusty, and from that, police were able to determine that the box had been moved recently. Marks that appeared to be in the shape of fingers were found in the dust on top of the box. Inside the metal box was a rag with gunpowder residue. Based on evidence of dust in clear areas around the box, prosecutors believed it had been moved and had contained Joe's missing 9mm pistol, the gun that Joe owned, the gun that Kathleen said Joe had sold years before. However, when investigators checked the state firearms records, It showed the gun was still registered in Joe's name, and there was no record of it being sold, despite what Kathleen had told detectives. They also noticed that the Foley home was particularly dusty. Perhaps to a neat freak, this might seem unacceptable, but for police, they used the abundance of dust in the home as an opportunity to discover fingerprints or clues related to Joe's murder. However, police found no fingerprints belonging to anyone other than the Foley's and a state trooper at the scene. An analysis of hairs and fibers collected from the Foley home didn't point to any other suspects. Using a forensic microscope, detectives compared the bullets from the pistol versus the bullets recovered from Joe's body. It was determined that Joe's gun was the one used to kill him. And lastly, Kathleen was named as the beneficiary on three life insurance policies in the amount of $212,000. Surely, enough money to support her and her lover, George. And with this surmounting evidence, investigators were ready to arrest a suspect. Date. Friday, October 29th, 1999. Location. Fountain Hill, Pennsylvania. After a 15-month-long investigation, Kathleen was arrested at her Moravia Street home around 6 a.m. by state police and charged with criminal homicide. The arrest took place after a painstaking 15-month-long investigation. Nearby neighbors were relieved of the arrest, and most people always thought it was Kathleen who killed Joe. Local children who lived in the neighborhood had become upset when the murder occurred. Their once quiet and safe neighborhood was filled with police looking for a killer And now, that someone had been arrested for Joe's murder, well, it put their young minds at ease. Some of Joe and Kathleen's neighbors suspected that Kathleen might have something to do with the murder. 
given the fact that neighbors often saw George at the house before and after Joe's murder. Announcing her arrest, police say Kathleen staged the murder scene to make it look as if a burglar killed Joe. And after nine years of marriage and no children, Kathleen desperately wanted to leave. They cited Kathleen's relationship with George Fleming as a motive to murder, adding that Kathleen was obsessed with George. They added that Kathleen would have done anything to keep George Fleming in her life, including cashing in over $1,000 in saving bonds to give George Fleming $1,000 for a down payment on a car, in which she also co-signed for the loan. And on the night of Joe's murder, she paged George Fleming three times from her home. Date, September 11th, 2000. Location, Lehigh County Courthouse. In the small Lehigh County courtroom, jurors' eyes were fixed on Kathleen as she testified for over six hours that she didn't kill her husband Joe and grieves for him still. More than 50 people listened in that courtroom that day as Kathleen answered questions about her relationship with her husband Joe and her affair with George Fleming. In their opening remarks, Kathleen's defense painted Joe Foley as a blunt man with strong opinions and easily could have made some enemies. His other position as an officer in the labor union involved a bitter strike with its own office staff. Joe's so-called enemies had the motive and opportunity to murder him. The defense claimed that someone entered the Foley home and killed Joe, and that Kathleen didn't hear the shots because she was sleeping in the next bedroom with the radio and air conditioner on. And who was the defense trying to pin Joe's murder on? George Fleming, as well as his best friend. The defense went on to add that Kathleen was a woman who loved Joe and viewed him as a mentor and as a parent, despite her affair with her co-worker George Fleming. They said their marriage had grown stale, due in part to Joe's time-consuming activity with Project Children. And for four hours under questioning by her own lawyer, Kathleen gave down a version of her years with Joe. While testifying, she laughed and smiled when recalling parts of their nine-year union. She cried and wiped her eyes with a tissue when describing the kind of compassionate, caring person that Joe was. And also recalling the morning when she claimed she discovered his lifeless body. Kathleen testified that she loved Joe and liked what they had together and that their marriage was everything she thought it should be. She went on to add that George Fleming was fun, but not someone to build a life with. Kathleen stated her marriage to Joe had rough spots, but was getting better before he died. She was his helpmate in various social activities, and he was the rock in her life. Her affair with George was not serious, she said, and happened because Joe had been neglecting her. However, 
The prosecution stated the love affair between Kathleen and George Fleming, plus Joe's concern over Kathleen's spending habits and drug use, provided the motive for his murder on July 30th, 1998. They claim that Kathleen downplayed her relationship with George and lied to police about the quality of her marriage, which she told a friend was unbearable. Prosecutors allege that Kathleen used Joe's gun, a 9mm semi-automatic, and fired four shots at him while he slept. Two of the bullets entered his brain. The other two were found in the bedding. Afterwards, investigators alleged that Kathleen left the house to discard the weapon. Despite an extensive search of a wooded area close to the house, river banks, under bridges and sewers, the murder weapon was never found. When the prosecutor asked Kathleen if she had killed Joe, she replied, absolutely not, and insisted she was not involved in Joe's murder, nor did she hire anyone to kill Joe. Kathleen said co-workers were lying when they testified about how unhappy she was with her marriage and how deeply in love she was with George. Kathleen admitted that she lied about her affair with George, which started in the fall of 1997 and continued up until Joe's death. But, she added that 10 days after Joe's murder, Kathleen and George resumed their affair and kept it going until her arrest in October of 1999. When the prosecution asked Kathleen why, if the affair was so casual as she claimed, then why did she risk so much for George Fleming, as well as risk getting pregnant, which she claimed she was, to George shortly after Joe's murder? Kathleen was also asked what she thought a proper mourning and grieving period was. Reason being is that neighbors testified that George was at the Foleys' home shortly after Joe's death. She answered that she was still grieving and admitted that after Joe had died, she had not thought it was risky bringing George Fleming into her home so soon after Joe had died and yet adamantly denied shooting Joe. When it was time for George Fleming to take the stand... He knew his testimony would be rough. Both sides felt that George himself could be responsible for the murder of Joe. George initially lied to police about his affair with Kathleen, remember, and his whereabouts the night of Joe's murder, and the fact that Kathleen had paged him three times that night. But later, he admitted the affair and where he was that night. On the stand, George said the affair started about a year before Joe's death and he continued to see Kathleen up until her arrest. At the time of her incarceration, he would visit her in prison three times a week. George testified that he and Kathleen had sex wherever and whenever possible. At the Foley marital home when Joe was away, at George's house when his wife was at work, and in their vehicles at the Allentown State Hospital where they both worked. Kathleen complained about Joe 
to George about her lack of financial and social freedom. She also told George she was thinking of leaving Joe, and if she did, she would lose all marital property. On the night of Joe's murder, George stated he was at his second job at a local beverage company and punched out by 9 p.m. He then went to the Allentown home of another married woman who he was having an affair with and spent time with her at a local park. Afterwards, he went home and he and his wife went to get some pizza, buy some marijuana. He said they went home and stayed there. George was asked by the prosecution if he knew that Kathleen had told state troopers she was pregnant with his child, and he said yes, that after Joe's murder, Kathleen told him she might be pregnant with his child. Both the prosecution and the defense agreed that Kathleen showered George with lavish gifts, such as clothing, exercise equipment, and that $1,000 down payment on a car that Kathleen co-signed for. However, the defense felt it would have been convenient for Joe to be out of their lives and George would become afraid when Kathleen's finances dried up. George, who happened to be black, denied having a contest with his best friend on how many women they could have sex with and that he only wanted rich white women to give him money. When co-workers at Allentown State Hospital testified, they all said that Kathleen would disappear for hours at a time. They continually told her not to disgrace Joe at work and urged Kathleen to try to work out her marital issues. A former patient testified that he heard Kathleen talk about having a gun in the house about a month before the shooting, and he also heard her say that she and Joe were sleeping in separate rooms. Then... The jurors heard the hour-long tape of Kathleen's account of July 31, 1998, and the previous night of July 30, 1998. The interview was taped September 28, 1998, by State Police Corporal Joseph Vasquez, who just happened to be a close friend of Joe's. Corporal Vasquez questioned Kathleen the morning the body was found. He testified that Kathleen did not seem stressed, and his impression of her was that she was cold and straightforward. Nonetheless, Kathleen asked him to be a pallbearer for Joe's funeral, but never asked him how the investigation into Joe's murder was going. The coroner testified that based on the coldness of Joe's skin, the settling of his blood on his body, and the stiffening of his muscles. The time of death was estimated to be between 9 and 11 p.m. A forensic pathologist and a scientist who testified for the prosecution considered many factors regarding Joe's time of death. This included Joe's weight, which was between 350 and 450 pounds, his height, the amount of alcohol in his blood, and the amount of alcohol that had not been absorbed. It also included his stomach contents and how much he ate and drank that day. 
If you remember, Kathleen had told police that around 12.30 or 12.45 a.m., she went to sleep in the adjoining bedroom due to Joe's loud snoring. The forensic pathologist testified that based on their calculations, Joe could not have been alive during the time period of 12.30 and 12.45 a.m. Also testifying was a forensic audioist who said they fired a gun and recorded the sounds and determined that the acoustic sound is abrupt and loud at 118 to 120 decibels of sound, which is comparable to a lawnmower, bus, or motorcycle. The next room in which Kathleen slept was 15 feet away with a 5-inch thick wall. The headboard of her bed butted up against the headboard of the bed that Joe was sleeping in. With the walls thin enough and her headboard butted up against the headboard of Joe's bed, it was almost certain that a sound like that could be heard. And even a neighbor testified that she heard what she thought were firecrackers the night Joe was killed. Jurors then saw photographs projected on a large screen of the primary bedroom where Kathleen said she found Joe. Jurors saw one graphic color photograph of Joe's head and the bloodstained bedding. Some people in the courtroom shielded their eyes, while others groaned in disbelief. Ironically, Kathleen didn't look at that photograph. And finally, what exactly was the final piece of evidence that helped the prosecution's case? Well, it was Joe's gym shorts, his usual night attire. When police found him, his shorts were on backwards and not pulled up all the way. The prosecution claimed that Kathleen had killed Joe while he had his clothes on and afterwards cut his clothes off. To support her story that he must have been shot in bed while she was sleeping elsewhere, she had to put his gym shorts on. But remember, Joe was a large man weighing close to 400 pounds too heavy for Kathleen to be able to get the shorts all the way up on Joe's body. In her frustration, investigators believe Kathleen put them on backwards and not on all the way. Date, October 4th, 2000. Location, Fountain Hill, PA. 1308 Moravia Street, the once gleaming home of Kathleen and Joe Foley, was just a shell of its former self. Close by, near a tree stump, was a torn piece of twisted yellow police tape, a reminder of July 31, 1998, when police roped off the area and began collecting evidence to solve Joe's murder. In the two years since Joe's murder, the home's lawn had been overgrown with dandelions and other weeds. And in the middle of this landscaper's nightmare a for sale sign, a sure indication that the Foley's nor their past lives were to remain in that house. On that crisp fall day, 
Jurors and Kathleen's trial were taken from the Lehigh County Courthouse to the Foley home in effort to disprove that Kathleen could not have heard the gunshots in the room next to her. Jurors were able to view the primary bedroom where Joe was shot, as well as the spare bedroom where Kathleen said she slept that morning to avoid Joe's snoring. The two rooms were separated by a five-inch thick wall in a closet. The distance between where Kathleen claimed she was sleeping and where Joe was found was 13 feet away in the other bedroom. The tour took about 20 minutes, and while jurors toured the Foley home, sheriffs, as well as Kathleen, were present. The tour of the Foley home was the last piece of evidence presented to the jury. However, once they arrived back at the courthouse, jurors asked to get another look at the photograph of Joe's body with the backward shorts on. As well, they asked for a transcript of the 911 call Kathleen made in the morning of July 31, 1998. And just hours after the jury, made up of four men and eight women, had toured the Foley home, they found Kathleen guilty, first-degree murder, for shooting her husband, Joe Foley. As the guilty verdict was read, there was an outburst of emotion from more than a dozen family members and friends of Joe, who clapped, cheered, hugged, cried tears of relief, happiness and sorrow at the verdict, which was reached after three hours of deliberation and a 13-day trial. Her face expressionless, Kathleen showed no emotion as she looked at the jurors who were polled individually about their verdict by the defense team. Kathleen's mother, sister, brother, and cousin, who were in attendance at her sentencing, said nothing as they left the courtroom. The victim's family members thanked and hugged members of the prosecution and investigators, including State Police Corporal Joseph Vasquez, who not only investigated the case, but had lost his friend Joe Foley, who was like a brother to him, and also Kathleen, who he also considered a friend. And within a few weeks after she was found guilty of murdering Joe, a judge sentenced Kathleen to life in prison. At her sentencing, family members of Joe filled the Lehigh County courtroom and expressed a range of emotions from grief to anger to guilt. Joe's family tried to convey how much he meant to them and how much hatred they felt for Kathleen, who killed him after she had been welcomed into their family. Siblings of Joe described their deep sorrow and the loss of their brother, who they described as a big man with a big heart. He loved children and spent his spare time working with local charities. Joe's family read statements from family who were unable to be in court. One of Joe's sisters, Jean, read a letter her daughter wrote to Joe, and she ended the letter by saying, I hope heaven is wonderful. Family members told the judge they would not call Kathleen by her married name and would refer to her by her maiden name, Kathleen Zimmerman, because she wasn't worthy of carrying the Foley name. 
They also expressed their guilt at not being able to protect their Joe from Kathleen and feeling helpless and not being able to prevent his death. And also, their confusion over what they should tell their children about their uncle and their aunt. They added that Kathleen didn't act like the grieving widow at the funeral, nor at the gravesite, and was smug during the trial. They said she didn't shed a tear for Joe or show an ounce of compassion or remorse. They said they gave their love to their brother's wife and so much had been taken from them. And for that, they will never forgive her. Kathleen served her sentence at Muncie State Prison near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, up until her death in 2016. That concludes this episode of Departed in Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Andrea Dudek. Thanks for listening. And tune in next time for more true crime talk without the Valley Girl Squawk.